Well, good morning, Community Faith. Good morning to everyone that's watching online. Um, it's good to be able to connect. You know, sometimes God does things uh, in really bizarre ways, and sometimes there's these unexpected moments that we experience in our life that change us forever. And I had one of those moments this week on Tuesday night. Um, I got home, and as I got home, I began to discover in this situation God's goodness, um, God's love for me. And it was an incredible moment. And I don't know if you've ever had a moment quite like this that involved something like this, but this is what the moment looked like for me. It was a crumble cookie. You thought I was about to get real serious there right out of the gate this morning, uh, but we are getting serious because crumble cookies are serious. <laughs> um, this is a churro-flavored crumble cookie. And when I got home on Tuesday, my wife had decided to get cookies for the boys, for the family. And as I walk in, I walk over to the box and I start to look at it. And honestly, when I looked at this cookie, I just kind of dismissed it because it really doesn't look that enticing. It doesn't look that great compared to some of the other cookies that were in the box. And Brandy said, oh my gosh, Wes, you have got to try it. I mean, she was inviting me into this experience with this cookie and wanted me to experience what she had experienced with it. And so I was like, all right, I'm gonna, I'm gonna take a bite. And I, I love crumble cookies uh, and I've got a favorite and that favorite has now been replaced with this favorite. How many, how many of you have been to crumble cookies? Have had a, or, uh, let, me, let me change that. How many of you have never been to crumble cookies? You've never eaten a crumble cookie before. All right, these are all the people that need to uh, get their lives together. <laughs> all right, well, here's what I'm gonna do. Uh, I've got some crumble cookies. And I've actually got some churro crumble cookies that I want to give away this morning. I want to invite some of you, or one of you, depending on whether or not you share, to experience what I experienced this week. So, so let, me, let me ask that question again. How many of you have never had a crumble cookie before, just raise your hand. All right, the hands, the hands got fewer. Um, some of you put your hand up that didn't put your hand up, didn't put your hand up earlier. All right, right here, right here down front, down close. I'm gonna ask you to come on stage with me. So uh, congratulations. He's like, oh man, why did I raise my hands? <clears throat> you know what's interesting is there was a different group of people that raised their hand. You can come up right over here. There's a different group of people that raised their hand the second time I asked. And I think some of you realized I was about to give cookies away, and you're like, I've been a crumble cookie, but he doesn't know, and so you put your hand up. So come on over here with me. Um, hey, tell everybody your name. Daniel. Daniel? All right, Daniel, everybody say Merry Christmas, Daniel, on three. Ready? One, two, three. Merry Christmas. All right, come over here with me, Daniel. Um, Daniel, you've never had a crumble cookie, huh? Okay, you ready to experience an unbelievable, life-changing moment? Are you really? Did you get up this morning thinking that this was going to happen? No. No? Okay. Well, here's what I'm going to do. I've got some napkins for you. Um, I want you to grab one of those cookies. You don't have to take the whole cookie if you don't want to, but uh, if you want to break a piece off, grab the whole thing. I mean, however you, I don't know how you eat cookies, but um, you do you. So grab one of those. I'm going to ask you to take a good bite into that cookie and experience everything that that cookie has to experience. This is a good man right here. This is a good man. He's thinking about his wife. All right, all right. So, so take a bite. Let's check this out. L let me ask you a couple questions while you're chewing that. Because there's nothing better than being asked a bunch of questions when your mouth is full. Um, have you ever been on a stage like this with a pastor in front of the church? No? It's different, isn't it? Mm. The cookie's even better now. The cookie's even better now. All right, all right. This is kind of an awkward moment. Um, uh, if you didn't already feel awkward, just that, that it's really big up there. Yeah, yeah. 
makes the cookie look that much bigger. Um, that's why I always check my teeth and my fly before I come on stage, because that's dangerous. Um, look at it, man, he's going in for seconds. This is good stuff. You're digging this cookie, this is pretty good. So, so I think I know the answer to this question. Is the experience so far with that cookie good? Um, it's been like when I met my wife. So. Oh, wow, wow. Man, this is serious. Okay, all right, here's the deal. The only right thing to do is to go ahead and give you this whole box. Um, so if you wanna put that one back in there so you don't drop it. Um, all right, there's that. Here's some water to wash it down. Y'all give him a hand. Um, yeah, congratulations. Um, enjoy those cookies. Listen, you can eat those during the service if you want. If you need to share, you can share. If you want to just tease everybody else, wait. You do you. Uh, it's interesting. It's funny. I thought about this this morning, and I, I'm, I've, I've failed some of you today because the way that Crumble Cookie works is they release new flavors every Monday. And they're closed on Sunday. So I really messed you up today, except for, you know, a couple of people in the room. But let me, let me jump into this, because this is what I want to talk about today. You're like, okay, Wes, what in the world does this have to do with Jesus? What does this have to do with Christmas? Well, I'm glad you asked. I, I want to talk today about sheep, coins, and crumble cookies. And now I'm pretty confident that you've never listened to a sermon that's been titled exactly that. But I want us to consider something. I've been processing through Luke chapter 15 over the last several weeks, and I don't know why there's some familiar stories in Luke chapter 15, and in this Christmas season, that's just kind of where my mind has been going, and as I've been preparing for today, I think that maybe God wants this Christmas to be different for many of us, for every single one of us. We get, we get to choose that, but I think that as we unpack this together. This will begin to make sense and the sheep and the coins and the crumble cookies will all make sense as we wrap this up together. But I wanna look at Luke 15, starting in verse one. We're gonna look at a couple of stories and I think what's gonna happen, you're gonna see this progression happen as we read both of these stories. The first story is a story about a lost sheep. The second one is a story about a lost coin. And you'll see this progression going from a realization of something that's missing to a dedication to find what is missing that lands in a place of celebration. And so with that kind of in mind, let's, let's read this and kind of see if we can unpack that as we jump through these stories. Now, this is Jesus speaking. He is sharing this story, and he's sharing this story so that you and I and the people that are listening on this day can understand more about himself, more about God's kingdom, more about God and who he is and who he is to us. And so Jesus says this, and it says, now all the tax collectors and sinners were coming near Jesus to listen to him. So you've got the sinners and the tax collectors. I mean, they're pressing in to Jesus. It's interesting, the people who were not anything like Jesus liked Jesus in these days. And Jesus liked the people that were nothing like him. So we see this happening. They're pressing in. They're intrigued. They're interested in this man named Jesus. These are, these are those that society would look at and think, ah, man, they're, they're, they're not probably people we need to be hanging out with. I mean, the religious especially. That's what we hear in this next verse. It says, and both the Pharisees and the scribes began to complain saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. The Pharisees and the scribes represent the religious elite. And so you've got this inner circle of sinners and tax collectors who are considered even worse than just the average sinner like you and me, and they're crowding in around Jesus, and on the outskirts of this crowd is the religious elite. And they've got their arms crossed, and 
their glasses down on their nose and their phones out and they're recording the whole situation because they're gonna post it later on Twitter and roast Jesus for hanging out with the unclean. And this is just this bizarre situation. The religious elite don't want anything to do with those that maybe have some messy things going on in their lives that may be a little bit dysfunctional, who don't understand the laws and the traditions and the expectations of religion. And so it's into this tension between these two groups of people that Jesus begins to share these stories. And he's sharing these stories in a way so that those close to him can hear him, but he's saying them loud enough so that the religious can also hear what he's saying. And here's what he says. It says, and so he told them this parable saying, what man among you, if he has a hundred sheep and has lost one of them, does not leave the other 99 in the open pasture and go after the one that is lost until he finds it. Continues on, it says, when he has found it, he puts it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors saying to them, rejoice with me because I have found my sheep that was lost. That exclamation mark means that he's excited about what has just happened. This is a big deal. And then Jesus goes into this next story. And I'm sure that the people listening are a little bit confused. They're like, okay, why is he talking about sheep and the 99 and the one? And, and then it's almost like he wants to make sure that the ladies in the crowd connect with something. And so there, here, here's where he goes with the next story. He says, I tell you that in the same way, sorry, I jumped ahead, but it says, I tell you in the same way, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who have no need of repentance. So he's, he's wrapping up that first story and jumping into the second one in verse eight. It says this, or what woman, if she has 10 silver coins and loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it? Continues on, it says, when she, when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors saying, rejoice with me because I have found the coin which I had lost. Again, exclamation mark. This is a big deal. He says, in the same way, I tell you, there's joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Now, these are some really intriguing short stories that Jesus begins to share in this tense crowd two different sides, two different kinds of people. And you see this progression that I talked about just a second ago. The first thing you see is you see this realization that something is missing. You see the realization in both these stories. There's something missing. The shepherd recognizes that he has 99 sheep in the pen, but he owns 100. And he's concerned. He knows this. He's counted the sheep. So he realizes that something's missing. The woman realizes that she only has nine coins and she knows that she had 10 coins. She still has 99% of what she had. But that 10% is incredibly valuable to her. The one sheep was incredibly valuable to the shepherd. How do we know this? By the way that they respond to what's missing. Their response shows an incredible dedication. So you've got this realization and then you've got this dedication that you see in this story. You see this progression taking place. It's not okay for something to be missing and just say, oh, it's, it's not that big of a deal. But there's a dedication to go after. You know, if, I, if this was happening and, and this was a, a real life situation going on in this place right now and I'm staying on the stage, I'm like, man, there's 99% capacity in this room today. I mean, I'm taking pictures of that. I am celebrating that. I'm posting that on Instagram later saying, man, it is a banner day at Community of Faith. The shepherd doesn't do that. He's not celebrating that he still has 99 Instead, what he does is he leaves the 99 in the pen and he goes on this relentless pursuit to find the one. He goes out into the darkness, into the wilderness, 
to find the one that has wandered off, the one that has escaped, the one that has found itself in an unfamiliar, uncomfortable place. And it says that when he finds it, he puts it on his shoulders and he begins to carry it from where it was to return it back to where it's supposed to be. And it says that as he gets back, he texts all of his shepherd homeboys and he's like, hey fellas, tonight we're gonna celebrate. We're gonna build a fire because I have found the one. All 100 sheep are back in the pen. He begins to celebrate. He was dedicated to this. The woman, what does she do? She doesn't think to herself, well, I still have 90% of what I had. So that one's not that big of a deal. No, she's thinking Christmas is coming and I gotta buy some more gifts and I need that coin. She doesn't really think that, but that coin is important to her. So she goes on this pursuit looking for this coin. She finds the coin and she FaceTimes all of her gal pals. And she's like, ladies, I can't thank you enough for praying for my situation. I'm so thankful that you are here for me. And Jill, listen, I'm so glad that you and your husband stopped by to help me lift up the couch and find that one coin. I am so thankful. We have found the coin. I have all 10 coins. And then at the end of the story, of both stories, Jesus almost steps out of the stories to point out something. He shares that both celebrated, but then he says, you think that's a celebration? He says, let me talk about a celebration. He said the epic, ultimate celebration is anytime one sinner repents, one sinner is found. What he's saying is that when one person's eyes are opened and they begin to trust God, they begin to find God's love, God's extravagant grace and mercy for them, they begin to turn, they begin to go a different direction because they begin to understand who he is and there's a celebration that takes place. Now, before we jump into what this means for us and how we can apply this this week even, this Christmas, I don't want us to miss that this story is every single one of our stories. If it's not your story yet, it's an opportunity to be your story. It's really easy for us sometimes, I think, to sit in church because it becomes something of a routine. And maybe some of you, you're you're here every single week and you hear these messages. It's easy for our mind to go to a place of where we think, man, I wish my friend was here because he really needs to hear this. Because there's a lot of things going on in his life that I think this would be valuable for him to hear. He feels like he's been left out. He feels like he's been pushed out. He feels like he's all alone. Or maybe we think about our in-laws and the circumstances going on in their lives and we want, we want something to help them. We're like, man, I wish they could hear this. We think about our coworker who's going through a really difficult time with his family and he's really struggling, feeling isolated and alone and wondering if God cares about him. And you begin to think, man, I wish he could hear this. And all of those things would be valuable, but I don't want our minds to go there yet. Because I think it's important for us to recognize that this story is about you. This story is about me. This is Christmas. Christmas is a celebration of the shepherd going to find the one. Christmas is a celebration of the woman doing everything she can in a relentless pursuit of finding the lost coin. Christmas is the celebration of God doing everything he needed to do to find you and me because we've wandered off, because we've found ourselves in lost, uncomfortable, unfamiliar situations and circumstances. And Christmas was his plan to send his son, Jesus. You see, we don't just celebrate a baby being born in Bethlehem. We celebrate the arrival of the son of God. And in that, we get to experience grace, mercy, God's love, 
an opportunity at a new life, not just in heaven one day, but even today in wherever we find ourselves. You see, you and I were lost, but Jesus did everything he needed to do so that you and I could be found. So Jesus tells these, three, these two stories. And then he continues about his ministry, healing people, teaching, doing incredible things in his time on this earth. But this tension with the religious, with the Pharisees, continues to increase. And it leads to a place where Jesus ultimately is arrested, he's put on trial, and he is sentenced to die. And he goes to the cross, and he loses his life, and then he's put into a borrowed tomb. And it's important that we remember that it was a borrowed tomb. And on the third day, he walked out of that borrowed tomb. And then he spent some time with his followers. And who were his followers? I think his followers were the inner circle of the crowd that we just talked about. Sinners, the tax collectors, those that had found themselves in a mess but began to understand who Jesus was and who he was to them and the life that he wanted them to live. And so right before Jesus ascends into heaven, his followers have some questions for him. They're like, okay, Jesus, now what? Like, what, what's gonna happen now? Like, what are you gonna do to make everything right in the world? What are you gonna do to restore your kingdom? And Jesus responds in Acts chapter one, and here's what he says to their question. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and as far as the remotest part of the earth. Jesus is saying, hey, I've got an assignment for you. And my spirit is gonna be with you. And you can go back and read this and Jesus explains this whole Holy Spirit arriving. He's saying, it would be better for the Holy Spirit to be here with you than me to be here with you physically. And he says, your assignment is to go and be my witnesses so that the whole world would hear about Jesus so that his kingdom would expand. He's given us, us an assignment. But notice what happens if you skip down to verse 10. It says, and as they were gazing intently into the sky while he was going, then behold, two men in white clothing stood beside him. And they said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the sky? This Jesus who has been taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you have watched him go into heaven. So Jesus ascends into heaven. He's just given them their assignment. He's just giving, he's just given them the purpose that is still true for you if you are a follower of Jesus today. He's saying, go be my witnesses in all the world. And then he goes and he ascends into heaven. And it's almost like they didn't get it because they're just staring at the sky and they're thinking, is that it? Now what? Like, what do we do? There's just two men that say, hey guys, why are we still looking at the sky? We've got work to do. Let's go. Let's go do this. We were found, but there are so many that are still lost. Let's go find what is lost, and he points to the second arrival of Jesus. You see, Christmas right now, we celebrate the initial arrival of Jesus in Bethlehem, but Jesus is going to return. But until he returns, we are going to spend our energy and our time and our effort, everything that we have, to be his witnesses in all of the earth. It's an interesting passage, and as I was thinking through this, especially at Christmas, reflecting on these stories, it reminded me of our assignment. And I told you, this is your story. This is my story. As we begin to trust Jesus, and maybe today you're not there yet. You're like, man, I'm still trying to figure out this whole Jesus thing. Listen, I'm thankful that you're sitting here still trying to figure it out. This is a place where it's okay for you to, to do that. And we wanna help walk through that. But for many of you, you have placed your faith in Jesus at some point. You have trusted your life in his hands. 
And I think at Christmas is such an incredible opportunity to not just be the one who is found, but to go after those who need to be found. And so as I think back to this, some application for us today is to go back to the progression we saw in both of the stories, the progression of realization to dedication to celebration. As you begin to think about realization, and we consider what that means. How do you know when something is lost? Well, how do you realize when something's lost? Well, it's not there. Something's supposed to be there, and all of a sudden, it's not there anymore. Several years ago, when my boys were really, really little, we were hanging out in the front yard of our house, and we were really close friends with our next-door neighbors, and our kids played together all the time. And we were out there, it was actually on a Sunday afternoon, hanging out, just enjoying the day, enjoying the weather. And all of a sudden, I realized there's four kids between the two families, but there's only three kids all of a sudden playing in the yard. And so it didn't panic right away, but started to kind of look, and I went and looked inside our house, and I'm like, hey, Cam, my youngest, Cam, Camden, where are you? Are you, are you in the house? Nothing. So I come back out, and I'm like, hey, guys, have y'all seen Cam? Anybody seen Cam? And him being young, I mean, you start to kind of feel the anxiety creeping in. You're like, oh, gosh, where is, where is Cam? And so I started kind of walking down the sidewalk. I'm pacing a little bit faster. I'm concerned. I'm looking between the houses. Um, Brandy and our neighbors are like, oh, gosh, like, where's Cam? And so they go in their house to see if he's in their house. And I mean, we're kind of, there's a panic moment. All of a sudden, we recognize Cam is missing. And when something that you value goes missing, your focus becomes completely on finding what's not there anymore. And so, I mean, we looked and we looked and we looked and we could not find him. And then finally, next door neighbor comes out and she says, found him. He was in the bathroom. He's using the bathroom in our house. And I was like, Cam, why were you using the bathroom in their house? He was like, because their bathroom's better. I was like, dude, you, you, Go to your room, all right? You're, you're, you're grounded. I mean, I was, but we were so relieved, but we were also so incredibly anxious. The panic took place. And there was only one thing on my mind. You know, when I first started jumping into ministry and working full-time in ministry, I was a little bit bothered by numbers. I would hear pastors and ministry leaders and churches communicate, you know, the size of their church or the size of an event, and they would always give specific numbers. And for whatever reason, that was just always something I was like, man, is that, is that really something we should be doing? Is that boastful? Is that arrogant? And the more I did ministry, I realized, man, there's a lot of value in numbers. There's a lot of value in counting. Because you see the shepherd and the woman counted what they had. They had to count in order to know that they were missing something. And so as I was thinking about that, as Christmas is creeping in, numbers are important. A little over a year ago, uh, really right before kind of COVID all started, I was just doing some simple math. And I was looking at some different census numbers of the immediate area around the campus here at Community of Faith. And I looked at the four zip codes most closely connected in proximity to this campus. And I figured out that the population, when that census was taken, and it's probably gone up since then, but we're just going to go with this number for now for illustration's sake, was anywhere between 250 to 300,000 people. That's a lot of people. What I heard recently is that 85% of people in the United States don't have a personal relationship with Jesus. There's a lot to be found. There's a lot that are lost. Jesus... I think wants us to realize what's missing and recognize the opportunity that we have, especially at Christmas. So I continue to do a little bit of math this week because what that means is is there's a a large number, there's hundreds of thousands of people in close proximity to this campus 
who don't have what you have when you found Jesus. And he wants us to go help find those people. And I've heard Mark say over the years, he said this just this week in our prayer time on Wednesday night. He said, what if, just what if, just consider this, what if two to 3% of people that are not connected to a church in our community are just waiting for someone to tell them about Jesus. They're ready to trust Jesus. They're just waiting for somebody to have a conversation with them about it. They're just waiting for someone to invite them to a place like this where they can experience Jesus. They can hear about Jesus. What if, what if two to 3% of that number is just ready and waiting? So I did the math on that. And I just took the low number of 250 and I said 3%, what, 3% of 250,000. We'll shoot low for just a second. What does that equal? 7,500 people. 7,500 people who are ready, just waiting for someone to find them, to share with them the hope and the freedom that is found in Jesus. So as I think about Christmas Eve, this, this week, Thursday, one service at six, Friday at 12 and two and four and six, we're having five Christmas Eve services. There's about 2,800 seats in this room. We have another 750 seats in the overflow space. And there's countless people that can jump in and watch online like it's happening today. When you add all those seats together, there's an opportunity to connect with 17,750 plus people on Christmas Eve this year. We have room for the 7,500 people who are just ready for someone to say, hey, why don't you come to Community of Faith with me this week? What would it look like for us to realize the opportunity that we have for us? And maybe right now you're like, man, I'm, I'm a little bit uncomfortable with the numbers, Wes, like you said you were back in the day. But I think this is where my mind kind of opened up to the numbers because I realized that every single number represents a name and every single name represents a story of a person and that person matters to God. And if it matters to God, then it matters to me, it matters to us. The problem for the sheep the problem for the coin is that they were lost. You know, the only thing worse than being lost is being lost and knowing that no one is coming to find you. I think this is what stirred the shepherd and the woman. This is the realization that I think God wants us to have. He wants us to realize the opportunity that we have. And when we realize the opportunity, then there's a dedication to finding those that are lost. There's a dedication for you and for me. You know, when we lose something we value, I talked about losing Camden. When we lose something that we value, we become dedicated to finding it. And we don't rest. We don't sit comfortably. We can't relax until we find what is, what is lost. I mean, how many of you have ever lost your iPhone? Misplaced it? I mean, immediately you begin to have a panic attack. We start to have nervous sweats. We're like, oh my gosh, where's my phone? Some of you, even right now, as I've said that, you're like, Okay, I'm good, I'm good, we got it, we got it. You know, it's interesting, I've heard twice in the last few months of this happening. People who have carried their phone into the bathroom and accidentally dropped their phone in the toilet before they flushed. And the reason I tell you that is because both those stories, you know what they did? You're like, I wouldn't do it. You can't really say that until you've been in the situation. But both people said, I had to, I just had to. And they reached into the toilet and pulled their phone out, hoping to rescue their phone from being drowned by the toilet water. They reached in the mess. Why did they reach into the mess of the toilet? Because that phone is valuable, because it means something. I was gonna make you raise your hand if you've ever done that, but I, I'm gonna save that for another time. You can just send me a text and be like, hey, Wes, you were talking about me today when you were talking about the toilet. 
But I was thinking about this. There's a sermon illustration in this. You see, that's the story. Jesus is willing to step into the mess, no matter what your life looks like. You don't have to have it all fixed up and nice and neat and tidy and organized. I mean, who's like that anyways? Jesus arrived for the mess. I think it's why he told the story the way he did about the woman who was looking for the coin. I mean, ladies, think about this. What if I walked up to you at the end of the service today, we're hanging out in the lobby and I'm like, hey, hey, listen, ma'am, I just wanted to give you a little heads up. In about 30 minutes, me and some of our video team are gonna show up at your house and we wanna video how clean your house is. And now for some of you, you're like, that's fine. My house is pretty clean. For others of you, you're like, you just pass out. <laughs> you're just game over. But even for those that are clean, I would go further and say, hey, listen, we're not just gonna film the things that everybody sees, obviously. We're gonna, we're gonna scan under the beds we're gonna open up the pantry. We're gonna, we're gonna open up all the closets, like every closet, even the secret closet. We're gonna, we're gonna look everywhere. We're gonna pick up the couch cushions and you're like, oh no, 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 hang on. The couch cushions is too far because if you have kids and yours is like mine, there's like goldfish and cookies and popcorn, all kinds of crumbs. There's the puppy dog you lost two years ago, but he's fine because he's eating all the goldfish and popcorn that's left over in the couch. This woman in the story loses her mind to find this coin. She goes to all the messy places. It's important for us to recognize this today as we think about the opportunity that is there for us this Christmas. Because I think sometimes in church, you and I, Christians, Jesus followers, we have a tendency to come up with these boycotts against the sheep. And it's not the behavior of the sheep that's the problem. The problem is that they're lost. So regardless of the mess, he's calling us to run to the mess, to find what is lost. He wants to use us to accomplish his work. I think sometimes in our churches, we get to a place, and I'm not just talking about COF, just church in general in the United States, and we begin to have this mindset, hey, go clean yourself up, and then you can come be a part of this place. I think if Jesus was here with us today, he would say, Bring your mess and come and sit down next to me. There's something valuable here for you. What would happen to us if we understood the opportunity? If we were awakened to the realization of the opportunity that something's missing and dedicated to going after it at all cost? I don't think we have to ask what if. I think we get to try it this week. I want to give you three practical steps just really quick. You're like, oh my gosh, this is another sermon. Three more points. Just three things that I want you to do this week that I'm gonna do, I'm inviting you to participate in. Listen, the things that this church has done over the years by trusting God, by being bold, by stepping out in faith is really unbelievable. Just last weekend, I mean, best gift weekend every year is one of those epic moments every year where the church demonstrates its faith. And it's unique, it's special, it's overwhelming to be a part of. So I wanna invite you to take these three steps. The first step is to simply do this. In our dedication to this assignment that Jesus has given us, I want us to pray daily. I want you to set a reminder, 1225, you missed it by four minutes. 1225 every single day to pray for Christmas Eve services that start on Thursday. Pray for the people that you're gonna invite. Pray for the people that are gonna be here. Pray for the social media campaigns going on all over our community, inviting people to this place. Pray that God would give you boldness not just to pray, but boldness to invite. This is the second thing we can do. We can pray daily, but then we can invite those that we know. I'm not just talking about posting something on Facebook and just hoping people see it and like it, maybe comment on it. 
I'm talking about personal invitations. A text message, a phone call, a conversation down the street on your block with people that know you, people that you know, that are far from God, that are unchurched. I came across a staggering quote yesterday. Ironically, I, just, I was actually on Twitter just killing some time, watching the state championship football games. And I saw this tweet from a guy named Kerry Newhoff, and it said this, 82% of unchurched people would attend your church if a trusted friend asked them to attend. That's a, that's a, that's a huge number of people. 82% would, would show up with a simple invitation. Here's the disturbing part of what he said. He said, however, only 2% of church members have invited someone in the last year. Wow, do you, do you see the opportunity to go after the one, the two, maybe the three people or families that you're connected to that don't know what you know about Jesus, that have never experienced what you've experienced in Jesus? That's the opportunity that we have at Christmas. He went on to say in his article that Christmas has become the time where people who are farthest from God are willing to be at church because American culture has not dismissed Christmas completely yet. They've dismissed Easter, but Christmas is still relevant, even for people that don't claim to be a part of church or even claim to be a part of Christian faith. We have an opportunity. And listen, I'm not asking you today to go to people and begin to answer all of their theological questions I'm not asking you to memorize a lot of scriptures so that you can quote the scriptures and inviting them to be a part of this place. I would say that probably will push them further away than making them feel comfortable here. All I'm asking, all I'm trying to encourage you to do today is simply make an invitation. To take one of those invite cards, you can download them on the website. You can see them on social media. To take those cards and just share them, whether it's electronically or give it to somebody in person to take one of those yard signs home today and stick it in your yard, to take 15 home and go stick all 15 in someone's yard that needs to be here this week for Christmas Eve. I woke up one day a few years ago and there were about 150 signs in my front yard. Fortunately, I was already coming to the community of faith. What step do you need to take to invite? I was talking to Bobby Roberts. A lot of you know Bobby Roberts. He oversees our safety and security and facilities here at Community of Faith. And one of the things I love about Bobby is that he is relentless in inviting people to come to this place. He was telling me just yesterday about some of the friends that he has that are joining him on Christmas Eve for the very first time. He's inviting people that he used to work with, people that he's met here. He's, he's inviting people that he meets at gas stations. There are people here that are here because he was willing to be bold with his invitation. I love that about him. He doesn't just invite though, he invests time and energy. He cares deeply for the people that he's inviting. They're people that he knows, that he has relationships with. What would it look like for us to invite, to pray daily, to invite, and then volunteer? That's the third step. And maybe that's the most difficult step because that requires the most sacrifice from you this week. So I'm gonna put all my cards on the table. People are coming back to church. Crowds are getting larger at church. The trend is increasing. It's really exciting to see that. I'm so thankful for that. But as the crowds increase, the need for volunteers increases even more. And we do need more volunteers. But I would say more than us that are already here needing volunteer help, it's the people that are gonna show up Thursday night and all day on Friday that need the volunteers. They need you. They need you to hold the door open for them because this place is unfamiliar. And you, just like me, anytime you go somewhere that's unfamiliar, it's incredibly uncomfortable too. So we wanna do everything we can to make people feel welcome, comfortable. This is a place for them, even if it's their first time. 
That requires people smiling, holding doors open, making coffee for people so they can stay caffeinated when Wes talks too long on a Sunday morning like right now. People to help with the facilities team, just, just keeping the campus looking good so people are like, wow, they really care about this place. They must really care about what's happening in this place. People to help rock babies so that men and women can come sit in here and just be comfortable knowing that their children are well taken care of. What would it look like for us to take that step to volunteer? Maybe you've never done it, and you're sitting there thinking, that's a great idea. Maybe I'll try that in January, because Wes, it's Christmas Eve. We're going to be dressed nice. I got family coming in. Listen, pro tip for Christmas Eve, when you got extended family coming in, especially your in-laws, just invite them to volunteer too. Go ahead and register them, because here's what you could do. You could register them to volunteer for Christmas Eve for all five services. You, you, you just pick one. Like you're gonna attend one and you're gonna volunteer one and then you're gonna leave them here for the other three and you're like, man, I got rid of my in-laws for half the day on Christmas Eve, winning. And I kid, I love my in-laws. But what would it look like for you to volunteer? You're like, man, I don't know what to do. I'm not an expert. I don't know anything about the Bible. You don't need to. You just need to be friendly and welcoming because this place is who you are. You've helped make this place what it is. So let me ask you to do this. Very practical. There's a QR code that's gonna go up on the screen. And I wanna encourage you to take your phone out in church, with me, don't drop it. There's no toilets around, so you're good. And I want you to just open up the camera app. You're like, man, Wes, why are you pushing me to do this? Listen, this might be something God wants you to do because he wants to do something in you as you serve that you don't even know what to expect yet. But I want you to take that camera out and if you just put it up to the screen, you may have to zoom in a little bit and there's there's a code that's gonna come up. You just tap that on your screen and it'll take you to the registration page. And you just click on that and say register. And then you choose what area you want to register, and our team will contact you first thing tomorrow. They'll get you plugged into a team. They'll explain everything that you need to know. It'll be an incredible time. It'll be a fun time. I love the chaos of Christmas Eve. You get to know people that you've never met before. It's what makes a large church feel like a small church. What would it look like for this to be what our Christmas looks like? Not just for some, but for all, for all people, for the tax collectors and for the sinners, for the young girl that's having difficult time, falling asleep at night, dealing with some of the choices that she regrets making in the recent days and months in her past. For the mom and dad who are struggling to hold the family together, for the guy that's struggling with addiction, to the person that's struggling with knowing what next year is gonna look like because there's job loss. For the person that maybe has not been in church for years and they're not sure if they're welcomed back, what, what would it look like for us to welcome all of them back? to go after what is lost. Jesus is for all. And if Jesus is for all, and for all of those people that I mentioned, and so many more, then community of faith is for those people because you and me are those people. I think this is the challenge. And when we do this, I believe we'll begin to experience celebration. You and I are gonna celebrate a lot of things in the coming days. We're gonna celebrate gifts, that you're giving away. There's, you're gonna celebrate gifts that you receive. You know what's interesting about the things that you're gonna receive in the next few days, the gifts that you're gonna get, the iPads, the, the new phone, the, the gaming console, the TV, all the electronics, all the, the car, whatever it is, whatever gifts you're going to receive, I can tell you this, that most likely in the next five, 10 to 15 years, the things that you're gonna celebrate as gifts this year will turn to junk and end up on a junk pile one day. I mean, if, if I decided this year that I was going to give my boys the original Nintendo, like OG Nintendo, 
You know, like the one that you, when the game wasn't working properly, you would take the game out and you would put it under your shirt and you would blow on it or you would, um, you know, hum on it or you would do all, you're like doing all these magical things to try to make the stupid game work. That, that OG Nintendo. If I was to take that Nintendo, my old one, and say, hey, boys, I can't wait for you to see what you're going to get for Christmas this year for me. I mean, it's got Mario Kart. It's got Super Mario Brothers and Duck Hunt. And if you're really good, I'll get you Tecmo Bowl. Like, they're not celebrating that because it's junk. But you know what? I celebrated that junk years ago. But it goes away. It becomes irrelevant. I believe that we have an opportunity in the days ahead, in the months ahead, to celebrate something that never gets old when it comes to celebration. And seeing lives impacted. It's seeing the lost be found. This is the opportunity that we have. It's more than celebrating gifts. It's celebrating impact. Celebrating life change. And I think it can start this Christmas. You know, I started today talking about crumble cookies. Some of you are still a little bit angry that you're not going to eat a crumble cookie today. And I apologize for that. But the reason I brought that up is because I experienced something this week. And even last night, I was hanging out with some friends, and we took crumble cookies, churro flavor, to their house. And I was telling everybody, man, you got to try this. If you haven't tried it yet, you got to have this. Because I wanted them to experience what I had experienced. And I couldn't wait to get here today to tell you about it so that you could experience, so I could invite you to experience something. So much more than crumble cookies and the experience of a cookie at Christmas is the experience that we have when we trust Jesus. And it's an opportunity that we have to invite people to that this Christmas. My prayer for us today is that we would be bold in our prayers, bold in our invitation, and bold in the way that we serve one another this week. This isn't something we have to sit around and pray about for when it's going to arrive. It's arrived. It's here. So let's do this, community of faith. Can we pray? Before I pray, sitting there with your eyes closed, I just want you to reflect and consider I know maybe some of you are sitting here, you're like, Wes, I'm not ready to make an invitation. I'm not sure I'm ready to invite people to this place because I'm not really sure where I am. Maybe you feel like you've kind of been on the run. Maybe you feel like you're a little bit misplaced, a little bit of an outsider. Maybe you're in a place that you just feel like life is tough. You feel a little bit lonely, disconnected. And before you try to feel overwhelmed or obligated to step into some of the things I've talked about today, I just want you to know that the stories we read today are your story. It's an opportunity to be your story. And your heavenly father did everything he needed to do so that you would experience his love for you. He wants to work in you. And he's calling you to trust him. Maybe you're wrestling with that. You can, you can step into that even right now in this moment. Just say, God, I trust you. I give you my life. Maybe you're not ready to do that. I just want you to stay engaged. I want you to stay here. I want you to become familiar. I want you to keep coming back because I believe as you come back, you're gonna get to a place soon where you can say, God, I trust you. I know that you're good. I know that you have plans and purposes for my life. And I wanna follow that for as long as I live. For the rest of us, let's pray. The opportunity that we have ahead of us this week. God, I thank you for today. I thank you for the opportunity to dive into scripture, to stories that you told, that you communicated. And I think that as we read those, it still stirs something in us. It stirs a, a calling. It, serves, it stirs something that is moving us to do something. So right now, I pray that you would give us boldness as we pray, boldness as we invite those that we're connected to. I pray that you would give us the energy and the strength to accomplish the things you want us to accomplish this week 
It's ultimately going to draw thousands of people here to this campus, but more importantly, we pray that as they're drawn to this campus, that you would open their eyes to who you are and that thousands would trust you. That's what we ask for. That's what we're believing right now. So we're praying that your kingdom would come, that your will would be done in this place through our lives to accomplish everything you want to accomplish. That what's happened here today would not stay here, but it would go and make an impact in the community around us, in our homes, in our workplaces, and in our neighborhoods and everywhere. That's what we trust you for. We're asking for. We're praying that this Christmas Eve would be an unbelievable Christmas Eve because of the work that you're going to do. We trust you for that in Jesus' name. Amen.